the UFC has seen 86 different fighters as champions at the time of this writing, since the first divisional title was introduced at UFC 12 in 1997. And while holding that little bit of gold for any amount of time has etched your place in MMA history forever, not all champions are created equal. In fact, some have had incredibly tough runs in the promotion overall, despite their status at one point or another as a title holder. So today I've taken the win percentage in the UFC of all 86 champions, and we're going to talk about the 10 that won the least at the highest level, even if at one point or another they ruled their division. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 UFC champions who have lost more than anyone. Number 10. Anthony Pettis. We kick things off with the champion of tomorrow, Anthony Pettis. Coming in hot from the WEC, having captured the lightweight championship before exiting by defeating Benson Henderson in a fight that featured the famous Showtime kick. Once you've kicked a man to death, the next step is to be patient. Pettis would lose his debut in a stunner to Clay Guida at the Tough 13 finale with 30-27s across the board, dampening his hype quite a bit. But three straight wins, two knockouts of the night back-to-back -back would reignite the flames as Showtime would capture the lightweight title in his hometown at UFC 164 against Bendo yet again. Next, a super fight of sorts, Strikeforce lightweight champ versus UFC lightweight champ. Pettis would sub Gil Melendez in the second, and suddenly we had a superstar. I'm a style boy for life. Anthony would find himself on the cover of a Wheaties box, but before it came out, RDA took that strap. He'd lose four or five bouts post-breakfast cereal fame, including an interim featherweight bout with Max Holloway. Pettis would never see the title picture again, winning off and on through 2020, where he opted out of re-signing with the UFC to head to the PFL. On all, the former lightweight champion had 20 UFC bouts and 11 victories, giving him a win percentage in the promotion of just 55%. Often touted as a potentially all-time great during his early success, it seems like Pettis too often hit roadblocks, with only flashes of his brilliance being seen here and there over the years, interspersed with disappointing losses. Number 9. Tito Ortiz One of the UFC's greatest light heavyweight champions and biggest ever stars had more than his fair share of losses within the promotion. A debuting Tito Ortiz would contradict controversially come up short in the UFC 13 finals against Guy Mesker before going on a Lions Den revenge tour that culminated in his defeat at the hands of Frank Shamrock for the divisional title. But then Frank left town and the Huntington Beach bad boy began his reign as champion by defeating Vanderlei Silva for the light heavyweight title at UFC 25. His epic reign would end at his sixth title defense when Randy Couture spanked him. Randy! Tito then got beat up by his rival Chuck Liddell before another winning streak that would see him rematch the Iceman for gold only to come up short yet again. And that's where the troubles really began for Mr. Ortiz. Of his next eight bouts over the course of five years, Tito would win just once against Ryan Bader at UFC 132 via a first-round submission. He caught him with the puncher's chance of submissions, the guillotine choke. By 2012, Ortiz had decided to retire, going out in the most awkward of interviews with Forrest Griffin, who had just defeated him. I don't know, I came in here, two people enter. One man, one last man lives the winner. He would return to the sport a few years later, however, in Bellator, and eventually went on to be mayor pro tem of his hometown for a couple seconds somehow. When all the dust had settled, though, Ortiz would leave the UFC after 27 bouts with a win percentage of 55% in the promotion. Number 8. Holly Holm could you have had a hotter early UFC run than Holly Holm had? Has to be one of the few to catch fire so quickly. The Preacher's daughter entered the promotion unbeaten at 7-0 with a legacy FC bantamweight title, and after winning her first two bouts, she would dethrone Ronda Rousey at UFC 139 via second round KO. A massive moment, a huge story. She was all over TV. Holly was the next big thing. The rematch for that bantamweight gold was going to be huge. But Ronda was taking too long long, so Holm decided to fight Misha Tate next, where she would lose the title in dramatic fashion, a fifth-round Hail Mary submission. It really was something to be
behold, this would be the start of a three-fight skid that saw her also lose the inaugural featherweight championship against Jermaine Durandamy at UFC 208, although not without controversy. The Holmster would get two more shots at gold, one in each of the divisions she competes in, but would fall short in those fights as well to Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. You really can't blame her there, those are two of the best of all time. Since then, Holly's gone 2-1, and one, with another controversial loss coming in May via split decision against Ketlin Vieta, but coming up just short or having it taken away from you still counts as an L in the official record books, which is why Holmes sits at our number 8 spot after 13 UFC bouts, with a win percentage of 54% inside the promotion. Number 7. Hennen Barrow When the Dark Lord of Bantamweight Hennen Barrow entered the UFC, he'd gone 26 straight fights without a loss, which is pretty absurd even if most of those were on the regional scene in Brazil. Barrow burned through his first three UFC opponents to earn himself an interim title fight with the California kid Uriah Faber at UFC 149. This was because Dominic Cruz was out with career-ending injuries, and the UFC for some reason weren't willing to take the belt from him. Smeagol hates nasty illnesses. Smeagol wants to see him. Hennen would win via UD and go on to defend that lesser title against Michael McDonald and Eddie Wineland, finishing both opponents. Then the UFC finally came to their senses and awarded him the actual title. After TKOing Faber in a rematch, Barrow would run into a small child he wasn't expected to face called TJ Dillashaw, and the young alpha male would decimate the champion, earning a fifth round TKO in what is still one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. An immediate rematch was put on hold when Barrow KO'd himself, cutting weight, but when they did get around to it, it was a worse beating than the time previous. And then that UFC win percentage started taking some serious hits. Besides a decision victory over Felipe Nover, Hennen would lose six of his next seven fights in the promotion, missing weight twice in the process. He was subsequently cut, and believe it or not, he hasn't retired. He's meant to fight for Ares FC very soon. After 17 bouts in the UFC, despite coming in looking like an all-time great, Barrow would finish his time with the promotion with a win percentage of just 53. Number 6. Nico Montano. The two criteria that matter most for this list are being a UFC champion and what your overall win percentage was in the promotion. So even though Nico Montano only ever had two UFC bouts, she's primed for this list, and it's quite the tale. Montano was a contestant on The Ultimate Fighter Season 26, which was to introduce the women's flyweight division into the UFC, something that had been highly requested as the gap between 115 and 135 was just too much for a lot of fighters. Nico was a dark horse for the season, you might say, absolutely not expected to win, but after three straight victories, she found herself in the live finale, where she was supposed to fight Sajari Eubanks. But her opponent would suffer kidney failure trying to cut weight for the fight, and so Roxy Bataferi would be her replacement. Montano would take the inaugural flyweight title via a UD. Welcome to the UFC, you're now a champion. Here's where everything went wrong. As a result of the weight cutting for the season, Montano was having serious issues physically and would need some time off. When she was supposedly ready to go back at UFC 228, she was meant to face Valentina Shevchenko, but her body shut down on her, she was hospitalized during her weight cut, and was subsequently stripped of the title. It was a whole big controversial thing, and then she got suspended by USADA, so she was gone for another six months. Most fans don't even know that she had a second UFC bout a year and a half after her debut, where she fought Juliana Pena at 135 and lost via UD. She was scheduled for six other bouts over the next two years that all fell through for one reason or another at various stages before being cut in August of 2021. The inaugural flyweight champion had a UFC win percentage of just 50. Number five, Matt Sarah, the Terra, the unlikeliest of champions, but one of everybody 
everybody's favorites. Matt Serra debuted at UFC 31 and got spinning back fist KO'd by Shoney Carter. This was the highlight reel of highlight reels back in the day. You couldn't watch a best knockouts compilation without seeing it. And after going 4-4 four and four in his initial run in the promotion, Matt looked to be doomed to be that highlight reel for the rest of his career. That was until the comeback season of The Ultimate Fighter. One of the coolest ideas the promotion has ever had. Take a bunch of fighters that have had mediocre UFC runs and put them in a tournament. The winner gets a title shot like Rocky versus Apollo. Baby, you got a stew going. After two fights on the show, Sarah was in the finals, where he would defeat Chris Lytle via split decision to earn his unlikely title fight against welterweight king George St. Pierre at UFC 69. It's possibly the greatest upset ever, depending on who you talk to about it. Everyone! Matt would TKO the champ in the first round. How you like me now? A year later, they would rematch with GSP earning a TKO victory this time, and from there, Sarah would reach his twilight, beating Frank Trigg but being defeated by both Matt Hughes and Chris Lytle before becoming one half of everybody's favorite corner with Ray Longo. <laughs> Matt would have 14 total UFC bouts and came up 50-50, perfectly balanced as all things should be. Number four, Shogun Hua. All right, we've crossed the threshold. Every champion from here on out has a win percentage below 50. It certainly didn't look like that was gonna be the case for Mauricio Shogun Hua when he came into the promotion as arguably the best 205 pound fighter in the entire world. Hua was fresh off his incredible run in pride. That minus a fluke injury loss was perfect and saw him win the 2005 middleweight Grand Prix tournament. Shogun was 16 and two coming into the UFC and was expected to steamroll his debut opponent in Forrest Griffin. But the tough winner made a dogfight out of it and wore the pride standout down before submitting him in the third round. Hua would rebound though with back-to-back -back knockout finishes of Mark Coleman and Chuck Liddell, which earned him a title fight against Lyoto Machida, about he absolutely should have won at UFC 104. It's largely considered one of the worst robberies of all time. At UFC 113, he would rectify that mistake with a first round KO and a shiny light heavyweight title. Unfortunately, John Jones was on the rise and would immediately snap that gold from Hua, who would never see another title bout again. That's not the end of his story, though, because he's been around in the division still for over a decade. The man's got bills to pay. In that time, he's gone eight and eight. He's got the most fights in the division's history and is probably hanging it up sooner than later. After 23 bouts, Shogun has a 48% win rate in the promotion. Number three, BJ Penn. This is one of the guys I'm sure you said in your mind when you saw this list. Oh yeah, I bet he's on here. And yeah, you're right, BJ Penn is on here. The prodigy debuted in MMA and the UFC see at the same time coming in like a freight train from hell going straight up the asses of the competition you shot me in the ass. Editor's note, that's a line, by the way, from Will Ferrell in Blades of Glory. Yo, sorry. If you wanted to reference that on the screen or something. You have no power here. Thank you. you. With three first round KOs, give that man a title shot. And so they did. He fought Jens Pulver. He was a gigantic favorite despite his inexperience, but Little Evil showed him on that day that he wasn't quite ready just yet for gold. After two wins and a draw for the vacant lightweight title, which would go into exile, Penn's UFC contract was up. So he fought Gomi in K1, and then the UFC, despite his lack of a contract, gave him a welterweight title bout against Matt Hughes, that he shockingly won before fucking right back off to K1. A few fights and lawsuits later, BJ was back in the promotion, coming up short to future welterweight champ GSP, before getting another try at Matt Hughes's strap. This time, however, he would be unsuccessful. A move back to lightweight saw Penn avenge the Pulver loss after a season of tough, and then he would secure his second title, beating Joe Stevenson at UFC 80 for the vacant 155-pound strap. Next, it was Sean Shirk, your dead, 
Ahmed, a failed double champ attempt, two more title defenses followed by a pair of losses to Frankie Edgar. BJ would then bump back up to welterweight to KO Matt Hughes at UFC 123 in just 21 seconds, and then he would never win again. Over the course of eight years and several long layoffs, Penn would tie John Fitch and lose seven straight bouts, eventually being cut after being KO'd outside a bar. His overall UFC win percentage 44% when it was all said and done, he's currently running for governor of Hawaii. Number two, Carlos Newton. Our last two entries did some jumping around promotions, as was the style at the time, but nonetheless, they still won UFC titles and still lost a lot when they fought in the promotion. Carlos Newton entered the UFC after bouts in Shudo and a victory at Valley Tudo Japan 1997. He would lose in the UFC 17 tournament final to Dan Henderson via split decision. No shame there. Next, he would fight mostly in Japan outside the promotion and go on a five-fight run that was broken by Dave Manet in Kuwait. His next bout, though, would be for UFC welterweight gold, where he would dethrone the legendary Pat Miletich with a bulldog choke at UFC 31. He would have to take on Pat's protege Matt Hughes in his first title defense and would be slam KO'd. Or did he choke Matt unconscious? Maybe a little bit of both, but he lost the title regardless. Matt, Matt won the fight, but he didn't win it convincingly, you know. My trainers are itching to train me to fight Matt. <laughs> they got me in a leash right now. They're just going to seize you again. We're going to let you go. A quick pit stop in pride, and it was back for the rematch with Hughes that he would lose definitively this time. Following a win over Pete Spratt at UFC 40, Newton would take on a pair of legends in Japan before returning for his final UFC showing, a UD loss to Hanato Verissimo. That would start a losing run for the former UFC champ, six of his next seven. He would retire in 2010. Carlos's final UFC win percentage was just 43%. Number one. Dave Manet. The career of Dave Manet is an interesting one. He's one of those pioneer fighters who did everything everywhere, but is only really known for that one inaugural UFC middleweight title victory to most fans. Prior to that bout, he'd fought once in the UFC, but had amassed a record of 31-7-2, fighting the likes of Carlos Newton, Chris Lytle, Dennis Hallman, and Matt Hughes all over the damn place. The guy was an MMA fighter when there was no money in it, and nobody watched the sport. But he would get a huge break, as he was chosen for the first ever UFC middleweight title bout with Gil Castillo, who was an up-and-coming talent I think the UFC probably wanted to win. He would not, though. Manet would defeat him via unanimous decision. In his next outing, Marilla Bustamante would take the strap from him with a second-round TKO, and Dave would never win in the UFC again. At UFC 39, Phil Baroni would finish him in 18 seconds. Then, for the next three years and 13 bouts, he would fight outside the UFC, only to return and lose back-to-back -back and never see the octagon again. The final bout of his career was a rematch with Bustamante in 2012, but he would lose via unanimous decision. Despite his championship status, Ney only won 33% of his UFC bouts, which is why he's number one on our list today.